0: Very shortly after I came to Calvary in 2010, one of our young adults asked me asked to meet me for lunch because he had a faith question that he needed input on. And I remember being very excited. I'd never been a youth pastor before, this was a new experience for me, and this was the first time that someone had reached out because they wanted to talk to me about something faith-related. Now. Something you may realize about me is that I'm a pretty confident person. And unfortunately, that confidence is often present even in times when it's completely unjustified. So I confidently went with this young man to lunch knowing that I'd be able to answer whatever question that he had. And after we chatted for a little bit, I asked him, so what did you want to talk about? He said something like, I've been thinking about how God views money. And I saw you and Lisa at McDonald's the other day, and I was just wondering, how do you deal with the fact that every dollar you have, someone gave to God, and you're spending it on a cheeseburger? That was the moment that I realized my confidence had been completely unjustified, because I had never not once thought of it that way, and I honestly didn't know what to say. Now, you might be surprised by this young man's boldness. I mean, it was a sincere question, but any time we talk about money is awkward. That awkwardness is enhanced when you're a pastor, and you're about to talk to your church about money, but here we are. But I firmly believe that we should not shy away from difficult subjects, and so today in our series, Doing What Jesus Does, we're talking about how Jesus spoke about the rich and the kingdom of God. A few thoughts I'd like to share before I dive in. First, Pastor Ben often likes to say that I always make him preach on the hard subjects. Hopefully the last few weeks have shown that that is absolutely ridiculous. And we can we can mock him appropriately the next time he makes that claim from the pulpit. Also, I just want to be honest and share, uh, when I came home last night and fired up my computer, it would not turn on, so the sermon you're about to hear was cooked up this morning. Whether it was cooked up by me or the Spirit, we're going to find out. But God is good and we can rely on him. And this wouldn't normally have been a problem unless I was talking about something sensitive and really wanted to word things carefully. So uh, here we go. Our passage this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, takes place in the midst of a time of teaching where people are coming to Jesus with questions and he's answering them. And just before our story today was the story about the children. People were bringing children to Jesus for him to bless. And the disciples tried to keep them away. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now please stand for the reading of scripture. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You may be seated. I want to start right away by putting something in the proper perspective. When we hear Jesus talking about the rich, we tend to feel relief, because we all know what rich means, right? It means someone who has more money than I have. But that actually doesn't work. We are rich. By every standard Jesus could possibly have been talking about, we are impossibly rich. By today's standards, a family income of $30,000 a year will put you in the top 1% of the world. Now, I imagine that many of us here may not quite meet that number, but I also imagine none of us are too far, and many of us meet far more than that. The top 1% of the world. I spent some time looking up a few facts about, about America's wealth this week, did you know that only 18% of people in the world own a car? 18% of people in the world own a, or have a car. Now you might say, but not everyone needs a car. And that's true. But not everyone needs a jet either. And But when we meet someone who has a jet, we're perfectly confident that it means that they're wealthy. We Americans are rich beyond what people to whom Jesus was speaking could have even imagined. So all this is to say, when Jesus is talking about the rich, he's talking about us. Now, Jesus says really uncomfortable things about money over and over again in the Gospels. In fact, you may not know this, Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject. He talked more about money than prayer. He talked more about money than love. Jesus talked quite a bit about money. Now, if you pay attention to what he says, it becomes pretty clear that Jesus is a terrible American. There's no American dream in his teachings. In fact, this is one of the places where we most clearly see a collision of kingdoms, the kingdom of God colliding with the kingdom of this world in two very different views of money. I want to share a few of these passages in other places where Jesus talks about money. Not nearly all of them. We don't have time for that, but I do want to take three and show you. Matthew 5, 42. Jesus says, give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In other words, Jesus says we're supposed to hold on to our money loosely. We're supposed to let it go when there's a need. Then in Matthew 13 he's giving a parable about about a farmer planting seed and we're pulling the two verses that that kind of go with what we're talking about this morning. In verse 7 he talks about how some seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants and then later when he's explaining what he means by that he says this, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth Choke the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, wealth can choke our faith. And then in Revelation 3:17, he speaks to those who rely on their wealth, who find comfort in their wealth. And he says this: "You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched. Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, if we allow ourselves to take wealth and substitute the provision and and our dependence on God with money, we're going to find ourselves spiritually bankrupt. Jesus is pretty clear all through the Gospels that wealth is spiritually dangerous. To be rich, is spiritually dangerous and all of us here find ourselves in that category so moving to our story when the young man insists that he's kept all the commandments jesus says the one thing you lack go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me Sometimes an idol is really difficult to suss out. I spoke about this a few weeks ago. We, we tend to have all these affections and allegiances and commitments swirling together in our hearts. And one of the things we try very hard to do is to live in such a way that they never come into conflict. Because when two commitments or affections come into conflict with one another, we then have to choose I want to have a career and I want to have a marriage and I work very hard to make sure that those two don't come into conflict because when they do, I have to choose. One becomes more than the other and that's a very painful process. We would prefer if they could all just be jumbled together in there and not fight with one another. Two weeks ago I asked the question, what if you had to choose between your allegiance to your country? in your allegiance to your Lord. Now that sounds easy until we start talking about things that seem only good, like patriotism or the flag. We could put it this way. For those who are politically active here, what if Jesus told you that you had to support Bernie Sanders in 2020? Could you put your political allegiance behind? Or or maybe this way, what if he told you you had to support Donald Trump in 2020? I imagine one of those makes you uncomfortable. Could we put our political allegiance behind our allegiance to Jesus? Could we let our allegiance to Him win? When we ask ourselves questions like this, we start to get a look at what our idols are. So how about this one? If Jesus came to you and said, sell everything you have, and give all the money to the poor. Take a moment and ask yourself honestly, could you do it? Take everything you have, sell it, and give the money to the poor. Could you do it? Maybe you're thinking, well, no, I have a family. I have to take care of them. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good reason to not have to worry about this, except that you can probably trust Jesus to care for them, too. Maybe you're thinking, well, what about the things that I own that are only good? I own things that are good. Why would Jesus want me to give those up? He didn't didn't ask this rich young man to only be willing to give up bad things, but all things. Could we make our allegiance to Jesus truly higher than to the things that we possess or own? Could we let them go for our Lord? If you've been in my office you know that I have these pictures along the border on the ceiling and these are church fathers and mothers throughout history. And I, have, I have pictures of them and I have quotes that inspire me that are, that are from their writings. And there's something I was thinking about this this morning There's something that is universally true about everybody in those pictures. None of them, none of them would be called wealthy. And that's interesting to me. These these most influential figures through Christian history, none of them would have been called wealthy. A few of them in particular stood out to me. I wanted to talk about this morning. St. Francis of Assisi. Many of you have heard a quote or two from him. One of the favorite quotes ascribed to him is, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, how does it end? Use Use words, yeah. He didn't actually say those words, but that is a summary of some of his teaching. Saint Francis was a wealthy young man in the early 1200s or so, and he had a vision from the Lord to repair the church where he was worshiping. And he thought what that meant was he was supposed to use this wealth that he had in his family to physically repair the church. But his father had acquired this wealth through ill ill means, from immoral means, and so the priest would not accept any of it. And, And so Francis had this crisis of faith. The Lord told me to repair the church. What else could he mean? And in a moment of clarity from the Spirit, he realized what was meant wasn't The church needs your wealth, but the church needs you to let it go. And so what Francis did is he repudiated his inheritance. He stripped off all his clothes because they belonged to his family. He took only a brown robe and a walking stick, and he left at 22 years old. And he became one of the most influential figures in Christian history. He spoke with world leaders. He started religious movements. This man who just was willing to let it go saw the Lord work through him in powerful ways. Or another one named Basil the Great, who's just a personal hero of mine. He was a church father in the 4th century, the oldest of 10 siblings. His family was very wealthy. And when their parents died, the siblings, all who were deeply committed, to the Lord, decided to take all of the inheritance, all of their family's wealth, and use it to build monasteries and convents for people to have shelter and a place to practice their faith at a time of real need. They squandered it on the kingdom. Basil, he was well known as a preacher and a teacher, and he wrote this sermon, the Sermon to the Rich. It's one of the most convicting sermons I think ever preached. In fact, so much so that it was preserved. And here, 1,600 years later, we can still read it. If anyone is really wanting to feel the Holy Spirit gnaw at them about their, their use of money, I've printed some copies out, and they're down here and available. But you're not going to like it. It's hard to read. You see, we, we have to deal with the fact that these affections all play against each other in our hearts and while we try so hard to keep them from coming into conflict they always will and so what we have to do is we have to be willing to order them properly we have to love some things more and some things less we have to be able to say i love my home but i love my lord more We have to be able to say, I love my career, but I love my Lord more. I love my wife, but I love my Lord more. Now, that doesn't mean that what we have is a greater warmth and affection, right? Because we can't can't see Jesus, but I can see my wife. Greater warm feelings come for me when I think of her. That doesn't mean that I love her more. In fact, I'm able to love her more than I would be able to because my first love is the Lord. And what that means is if ever those two affections come into conflict, I have already decided which one wins. Unless this sounds heartless, Lisa would have never married me unless this was absolutely the case. Can we order our affections in such a way that the Lord is first so that whatever he asked of us we could say yes could we read ourselves in the story as the rich young man and see joy all he had to do to be a disciple of Jesus was give up all his stuff we may think of it as this incredible burden but but i imagine for many we would be able to see it as a wonderful freedom this is all it costs to follow Jesus, to be able to go with him in the flesh, place to place, to hear him speak and teach and preach. The young man goes away saddened because he has great wealth. Can we properly order our affections? I think there's a a fair question to ask. When we hear this story, does Jesus mean that you and I need to sell all of our possessions? The answer is probably not, but maybe. And here's what I mean. We know that owning things is not against the commandments of our Lord. There's a hard story in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. You may be familiar with it, you may not. but, But what you can know is that in it, the apostle Peter declares that owning things is something Christians can do. These two people owned a home, and then they sold it, and the money belonged to them afterwards. They get in trouble because they lie to the church and to the Spirit. But Peter affirms, you get to own things as a Christian. It does not mean you have to let everything go. But for some reason, Jesus saw this person, and he said, you need to let everything go. It is absolutely part of the cost of being a Christian to acknowledge that maybe one day Jesus will ask you to let everything go. Then Jesus says this, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of times what we try to do when we find a story like this is make up a reason that Jesus isn't saying something as hard as he is. Some of you may have heard this before, there's a story that circulates that maybe in Jerusalem there was a gate that was called the eye of the needle. And it was kind of a small gate and maybe, just maybe, you could get a camel to go through there but it was tough to do. And so, so we, we like to think of stories like this because it makes us feel a little bit better that Jesus isn't actually saying that those of us, all of us who are rich are just unable to enter the kingdom of God except there's no evidence for something like that to ever have existed. It's a hope somebody made up to be able to feel a little better about this story. But we don't need to lose all hope because Jesus goes on to say, with man this is impossible. No rich person can buy their way into the kingdom. You, I think you probably know this, you cannot keep the things that you have. You cannot work to possess and take those things with you and you certainly can't sell them to buy a ticket to heaven. That's not how any of this works. It is only through the Lord that we enter the kingdom. But why is it so hard? Why does he single us out, the rich, as having a harder time entering the kingdom? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, we as people are wired to care too much about possessions. There's something about having that makes you want to keep and get more. And that's something that most of us, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, can acknowledge that when we have little, it tends to be easier to not want to more and more and more. But as we start to get, we want more. We want to keep it. We don't want to let it go. And we want more. It's part of the brokenness in the human heart to always want to accrue, to gain, not to lose. That's why possessions are spiritually dangerous, because the more of them you get, the more of them you will want. And so it is important for us to make commitments, practices, disciplines about how we handle our wealth to remind us repeatedly that it does not belong to us. That story at the beginning about Alex, uh, I didn't say his name, now I did, Alex Wilson, he won't mind, I hope, asking me what I do about The idea that every dollar I spend was given to God by someone. I realized after a while that that's not actually any different for me than it is for anyone else because all of it comes from the Lord. The word tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from him. If you have a dollar, it's yours, but you are his. And so our positions are the same. Every dollar we have, the Lord has claim on. It's important for us to develop practices to discipline ourselves, to remind ourselves that we can't take it with us and we can't rely on it. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to give every week. Yes, the church needs that money to continue operating, but I want to say we have a particularly generous congregation, and Calvary is in a place where we're doing very well with that. That doesn't mean we should slow down because it's actually not good for you to stop giving. It's good for you to have a time every week where you're reminded, this doesn't belong to me, because I belong to the Lord. We're wired to care too much about our possessions, and we're wired to rely too much on our possessions. We get to the place, I think, where we think, here's how much I'm going to need to not be worried, to not be anxious. Here's where my budget needs to get to so that finally I can relax and rest in the sureness of my wealth. We should never allow ourselves to rely on our possessions because they're passable, they're changing, they cannot save us. And sometimes the Lord may ask us to let them go if we're in a place where that's what is giving us peace, we need to understand that we've allowed something unfortunate to happen to our hearts and to find a way to find that peace and rest in the Lord instead. And we're wired to be too distracted by possessions. You see, if you do have things, you actually have to steward them Then You have to care for them and take account of them, to keep them well, to use them well, to spend them well. The incredible thing about having nothing is there's very few things you have to worry about spending well. Right? We don't have to steward in the same way, but as we get more, the Lord calls us to steward it well. We're responsible for more, and we get so very distracted in that process. Something for you to seriously ask yourself is, do I have so much that my attention is drawn away from the Lord? And if so, as hard as it might be, hear me. You should let some of it go. Now this is easy to say, and I imagine very hard to do. I did some hard thinking this week about some of the things that Lisa and I spend money on, and it's true, I think it's true for all of us, that we spend money in times and places where if we look back we say, maybe the Lord had a better use for that than this. At the same time, it's okay for us to to need to relax, it's okay for us to need to rest, it's okay for us to have hobbies. What matters in the midst of all this is our heart. Is our heart too reliant, too rested, too anxious about our possessions. And if so, then we have too many. So what do we do about this? I think as individuals, we need to find ways to live simply. That doesn't mean get rid of the things. What that means is to make sure that our allegiance First and foremost is always to the Lord and to zealously rid ourselves of anything that threatens that. If your heart is drawn away by money or things, you need less money and things. Maybe at some point when you're more mature, you'll be ready for that. But if your heart is drawn away by money and things, you need fewer of them. That's just the case. The reason I think that this story happens after the story where Jesus is saying we need to be like little children to enter the kingdom is because of the simplicity of the heart and faithfulness of a child. Children love things, right? But at the same time, they don't depend on them in the same way adults do. There's a simplicity in their heart that's absent in ours. We need to be prepared to live simply. Lent is coming up and it's a great time to practice this. Is there something you're worried might be an idol? Give it up for forty days and see what happens. Maybe it's food. That is the traditional thing to give up. Not completely. I don't recommend a forty-day full fast, but some part of food or some amount of food being designated for every day. But maybe you rely too much spend too much time on watching TV or playing video games or socializing and with certain people in certain ways that can become unhealthy. Maybe you have something you're not sure it was a good idea for you to get and you can take 40 days and just not use it or look at it or touch it. Maybe you can set this temptation aside for the period of Lent and see what happens in your heart and at the end of it have some clarity about whether this is good for you or not. What can we do as individuals? We need to try to live simply. What can we do as a church? We need to give sacrificially. One of the questions that always comes up is how much should we be giving to the church? And that's a hard question to answer because I do believe it is different for every person. The standard answer tends to be 10% and there's reasons for that. And it's not a bad place to start, but you may be in a season where that's actually beyond what you have to give. It's not about your priorities, it's about literally, it's beyond what you can give. And that's okay. You don't need to feel guilt or shame about that. But what we do need to do is to keep an eye toward the future with the goal of being able to give more. And that is regardless of what we're giving now. The hope of, as we mature, being able to let go of things more easily is absolutely something Christians should have. So can you plan to give a little more next year than you are today? Now maybe your circumstances changes and incomes change and you can't keep the same goals and I totally understand that, but can we learn to let go of a little bit more every year? So that we could see the the effect of spiritual maturity on a person's life because we would see how little they feel the need to hold on to too tightly. I know that When Lisa and I got married, those that I've done premarital counseling with have heard me talk about this quite a bit. I was just awful with money. Just awful. I mean, if I had it, I spent it. Lisa, I remember we had a conversation where we figured out roughly how much I'd spent on taking people out to eat over the course of a few years, and we were just both in shock. I had no idea because I just loved to spend money. Some of you can probably relate to that. Some of you cannot relate to it at all. It probably mystifies you. but It's true. And for me, this discipline of learning to not just spend money has been a, a wrestling match in my heart that I've grown in. And as I've matured, I've become much, much better at than before. And that is only a good thing. What can you let go of? How can you be less concerned with riches or possessions? How can you steward your money better? I think if nothing else after today happens, if you had those thoughts, a conversation with your family, what do we need to let go of? What can we steward better? And actually make a change. I think you would see a very positive spiritual impact in your life And your heart and your relationship with Jesus come very quickly. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord, that when we have a thing, you would help us to ask the question, what would you do with it? What would you ask us to do with it? Lord, help us to search our hearts and examine them for idolatry, for things that we hold on to too tightly, for affections and loves that compete with our allegiance to you. And help us to choose you first, to really choose you first and to hold on to them less tightly. Lord, we want to honor and glorify you with every part of our lives. In this painful one, we ask for wisdom, we ask for help, encouragement, and discernment. Lord, make us more like you and allow that to be reflected by how we spend our money.